Welcome to today's edition of the Rush 24-7 Podcast. Hey, now, look, I, I, I know you guys don't like hearing me talk about the Democrats because you can get that anywhere, but I, you're going to have to, you're going to have to bear with me today. This, I cannot, I cannot avoid, this is too juicy, it's too good, it's too much fun, I've been looking too much forward to it. So we're going to talk about the Democrats today because the, the, the subject matter of the Democrats boils down to the fact that they're lost, and they know it. The bottom line is they know it. They don't have a candidate that can beat Trump. And to watch the pretense in the drive-by media as though these people are seriously, well, they are seriously contending, uh, given their hopes and dreams, but the reality is that this is just, it's, and I don't, I'm not trying to jinx anything, and I'm not trying to be falsely positive with things, but I'm, it's juicy, folks. Anyway, great to be back. Uh, telephone number, if you want to be in the program today, 800-282-2882. And if you want to send an email, the uh, address, lrushbo at eibnet.us. So last Friday, I was here and I thought, that, you know, I had a hacking cough here and I sometimes missed the cough button. I'd aim for it and I'd miss it and you'd hear the cough and say, oh, geez, people are going to get concerned. I said, it's just a cold. And it's like every other cold that I've ever had. I get them you know, once every three years or so. You can feel it coming on. I knew it. And it was getting worse during the during the program, but uh, hung in there and got home. And uh, Catherine had the medical team with us. Oh, no. I know what this meant. Uh, and so the medical team, you know, we, we, you really need to put you in the hospital. No, no. If you put me in, I'm never going to get out of it. Don't put me. You've got to go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital. And it was a good thing because it turned out to be flu. And I don't even remember Saturday. I think it was just zonked. And then, um, yeah, Saturday. And then Sunday, uh, got, got out of there and I'm back here and roaring and, and, uh, and ready to go. It was unrelated, unrelated to anything else, uh, going. I still have some remnants of it. And you may, I don't know, I may still sound a little bit stuffed up. But I mean, I feel a hundred percent better than I did here on um, on Friday. So, I, one other thing I have to share with you: Snurdly came in bringing his uh, his little stack of stuff for me today, and CNN had an interview going, and I hope I'm able to relate this to you, because many of you are going to think, "What's the point of this?" And this is why I am here. This is some you watching this, you would never notice what happened. You would never notice what it is unless I, somebody like me, a student of this stuff, can tell you. CNN's InfoBabe was conducting an interview with the senior vice president of Amazon. The senior vice president of Amazon was, was, has apparently written an op-ed depend, defending Amazon against charges being made against it by the Democrat presidential candidates. I don't even know what the specific charges the Democrat candidates have made against Amazon, but I can guess because Amazon's a corporation and Democrats and leftists hate corporations. And so the criticism is probably don't pay enough. They don't have enough health care. They don't have enough family leave. They don't have enough family dog leave, whatever it is. Well, guess who the senior vice president for Amazon is? Does the name Jay Carney ring a bell? Jay Carney, when this program started back in 1988, Jay Carney was working at Time Magazine. 
Well, it, it, I think he was at Time. Yeah, he was, and he was a he was a reporter for Time, and he worked his way up, and he became a columnist, and then a something or other, and then he became the spokesman for Biden during the Obama administration, and then he did so well. Speaking for Biden, who didn't need a spokesman because who cared, he moved over to the Obama White House. All these people in the media know Jay Carney because he's one of them. He is a drive-by. And by the way, he's been very nice to me. This Do not misinterpret me. This is not a criticism of Jay Carney. I don't want anybody sending Jay. He lives in Seattle, works for Amazon now, Bezos. This is not a criticism of him. This is an object lesson in American media today. So Jay Carney is every bit the journalist. And everything that means within Washington, drive-by, means Democrat activist. He's every bit the Democrat activist that the InfoBabe interviewing him is. Whether she's at CNN or whether she was at MSNBC... And she knows that he's every bit the Democrat activist that she is. And yet she's treating him as though he is legitimately, because I guess that's his title, the senior vice president for Amazon. Obviously, and who who owns Amazon? The guy that owns Amazon owns the Washington Post. Can you say circle? uh, No, I can't. But you fill in the blank. And this is what American media is today. They're they're talking to each other. Whether they are legislative aides or whether they are senior vice presidents at Amazon or whether they are other journalists or they're talking to each other. The American media is its own closeted little subgroup in Washington, D.C. that then branches out and populates... Various other industries. And in this way, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not so subtle form of bias, but it, it's, it's, it's not even just, it's not even bias. It is the essence of out of touch. It is the essence of absolutely no connection with real people and an audience. They are literally talking to each other. It's all inside baseball. But the problem is that the average viewer has no idea this. They think they're literally watching people. One is media and one is not media. And the one who is not media is really being grilled and really being uh, hit hard with these questions. And so and it wasn't that way at all. In fact, when the interview was over, the CNN info babe probably said, Hey, Jay, can you get me a job at Amazon? Do they pay well over there? I'm probably maxed out here at CNN. I mean, I'm just guessing. I don't know that that happened. So don't tell anybody that I actually made that allegation. But And this is itself a microcosm today of the Democrat Party. It's a microcosm today of the American left, how insulated they are, how out of touch they are. They don't have a chance. Now, I can't say that. Everybody has a chance. Anything can happen. But as currently constructed and as the field currently exists, there isn't, there's nobody on that side of the aisle that has the ability to reach out beyond itself. 
and make a connection with people outside itself. And it's a very tight group. The Democrats and the media are one group. And everywhere journalists work when taking respite from media jobs is make, but, but it's, it's just a very closeted, almost incestuous existence. And they consider themselves the elites. They're smarter, they're better, they're brighter than everybody else. And meanwhile, outside their little cocoon and universe, where they tell each other how important they are, how smart they are, and how relevant they are, Here's this guy that they haven't been able to figure out or understand, Donald Trump. And he literally is running rings around them. Why are the Democrats imploding? I was watching today, before the busy broadcast began, and I was watching some people literally surprised that Joe Biden has crashed and burned in New Hampshire. I said, where have you been? How can anybody be surprised that Biden was not going to be the nominee? How can anybody be surprised that Biden was going to... He's been collapsed. He's, he's, he's been... Stick a fork in him for months now. But Rush, the poll data, the poll... The, screw that. The polls were for another reason... Plugs, what, fifth place in Iowa, if anybody even knows? He's, he's pulled up, he's pulled up stakes. The bus broke down yesterday. You want a microcosm? The plugs bus broke down. It was a symbol. The plugs campaign was never going to get to the nomination. But because these people live and die by their own polls, they believe Plugs was the guy. Plugs was the leader. Plugs was leading the pack. Crazy Bernie having trouble puking up ground. So now people expressing surprise at total collapse over the Biden campaign. He's pulled up stakes already on the way to South Carolina. Plugs' problem... The same thing happened to Plugs that happened to Howard Dean. These guys need to stop talking about me. They think when they talk about me that it's going to ignite their audiences and get all kinds of support, and it ends up wiping them. I have, I have proof of this coming up. Audio sound bites. You'll see what I'm talking about in just a second. But, but, but it's not just Plugs. Why are the Democrats imploding? Here is a headline from the Daily Beast. And the writer is Michael uh, Tomaski, or Tomaski, I'm not sure how he pronounces it. A well-known leftist writer. Highly re- respected. Headline, they're voting in New Hampshire, but this Democrat, meaning himself, Tomaski, just, just, just wants to jump off a bridge. New Hampshire is voting. I remember when this used to be an exciting day. Even if my candidate didn't win, which he usually didn't, I loved both the reliable rituals and the unexpected little accidents. Well, it's not exciting now. It's depressing. I'm depressed. Almost everybody I know, every Democrat anyway, is depressed. It's a mess. Iowa was a crap show. Iowa shouldn't be first. Don't you love that, by the way, now? These people hate the Midwest anyway, but they've always fallen in for the Hawkeye caucus. Now the the Democrats can't even run their own caucus. The Russians coming in screwing that up. So now they want to cancel the Hawkeye caucus. 
And now they're even being honest about how they don't like you in Iowa, and they never really have. New Hampshire shouldn't be second, said Mr. Tomaski. It's preposterous. Iowa, New Hampshire, the first two states, what are we doing? Yet the party lacks the stones to tell these self-important second-tier states to go stuff it. So now, because there's not a single Democrat lighting it up aside from Crazy Bernie, and maybe Mayor Pete, but more on him in a moment, too. Uh, now all of a sudden with the frustration, these people, you got to understand, they've been lying to themselves for going on four years now that everybody hated Trump, that Trump somehow got elected with a quirk of fate that did not include a genuine electoral college majority. The Russians or something, but everybody hates Trump. Trump was going down. Trump was going to lose in a landslide. They had themselves convinced, even before they started the Russia business and any impeachment business, they were convinced, folks, I've told you, they were lying to themselves through and through. The reality is hitting them. That's what this Tomaski piece is about and all these others. The reality is hitting them. That they can't beat Trump. Not not as things look at this moment of a snapshot today with their candidates and with their campaign. And so now everything in the system, this is typical of the left, since they're not going to win, all of a sudden the Hawkeye Hawkeye suck. And New Hampshire, what the hell is New Hampshire doing being number two? That shouldn't happen either. So all of this frustration is now boiling over and effervescing out of the pot. Guy says here, the candidates don't look like winners. The party looks like it might be headed toward a face-off between a billionaire and a guy who wants to ban billionaires. And neither of these two guys are really Democrats. That'd be crazy Bernie and Doomberg. And his last liner, Donald Trump's going to be reelected. So why are they imploding? They are imploded for a host of reasons, but among them is they are offering solutions to problems that don't exist. They're trying to create problems that we don't have anymore because we've got Trump, because we're instituted market economics, because we have a foundation of conservatism here that is being implemented policy after policy after policy. So they're having to invent these problems that they have, in fact, created over the years so that they can offer solutions to them. The Democrats do not offer solutions to the people who make the country work. The Democrats offer solutions for authoritarian elected Democrats and unelected bureaucrats and themselves. The Democrats are all about establishing a way of life for themselves, not for the people, not for the country. I mean, Democrats right now want to dump a phenomenal economic model. They want to destroy the engine that has produced the strongest economy in 50 years and maybe longer than that. And with what? 
They want to replace it with an economic model that fails every time it's tried. So that they can have problems that they claim only they have the solutions to. Well, that's their problem, not ours. They are unhappy with a constitution that has created the greatest country that has ever existed. That's their problem, not ours. 90% of Americans are satisfied with their lives. 90%? That's a unheard of number and a record high for a couple of generations. 90% of Americans very satisfied with their... And you're trying to get rid of the administration and the policies that have created this. So what would you do if if you wanted to replace all this? What would you do? Well, I don't know what it would do, but it certainly wouldn't be the way the Democrats are going about it. It makes perfect sense they are imploding. i got to take a break. Hang on. Back with much more right after this. Greetings. Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh, America's real anchor man here behind a golden EIB microphone at 800-282-2882. So... Uh, for those of you watching on the Ditto Cam, that means you are a subscriber, a member at Rush 24-7. Keep a sharp eye here. Because I saw a... Uh, in fact, when I point at you, not now, but when the next time I point, that's when you do the switch, okay? I should have done this before the segment began, but what the heck. I mean, given the instructions. We're trying to make it real tight here, you know, look like TV broadcast professionals. Okay, so I saw... A, a political ad where Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, going on and on and on and on and on about how parents in America are struggling to explain President Trump to their children. And then I happen to see this. Now, What are you shaking your head at in there? You think you think I mean what, my natural conclusion. So he says Trump causes problems for parents. What about that? If you're not watching on the Ditto Cam, what it is a picture of Mayor Pete kissing his husband, which he does frequently. And here is Plugs. Do we have time to get... Yes, here's Plugs. Plugs is fleeing New Hampshire, folks. Listen to this. We fight for every vote we have here. And then I'm getting on a plane, heading down there, doing a little rally in South Carolina to get going. I'm getting on a plane and going in Nevada. But what you won't what be staying... Why won't you stay for the, the results tonight? Are you sending to New Hampshire by going No, to I'm not. Carolina? Not at all. Not at all. They know we've worked our hard here. We're continuing. We're going to go we're not even waiting for the results. We already know we're going to get shellacked. We're heading down to South Carolina. We're going to save the black vote. No, no, it ain't going to happen there or in Nevada. We'll be back. Hang on, folks. I did a little, I did a little research, folks. It's okay to laugh at the Democrats. It's safe to laugh at the Democrats. I don't don't think you should worry about it coming back to bite you. So when I when I when I saw the CNN InfoBabe interviewing the former Time Magazine columnist, the former Biden spokesperson, the former Obama spokesperson, and now senior vice president of Amazon, Jay Carney, about why the Democrat candidates are so mad at Amazon, I had to find out. I, it, it had to be more than just that Amazon's a gigantic billionaire corporation and they hate things like that. And I found out what it is. <laughs> Focahontas said that she wants to break up Amazon. 
it's just too big, and it's not good. Even though the CEO is one of them. But the the funny thing is this: a number. I still have a cough if I laugh too much. Here, let me get a number of Democrats. I don't know why this just amuses me. A number of Democrats have attacked him. You know, Amazon has the biggest web server farm in the world. Amazon Web Services. And they rent space on their servers, lease space on their... To ever, the federal government, including ICE. And the leftists are livid at Amazon because ICE is leased server space on Amazon Web Services. They hate Amazon because they're helping ICE, law enforcement. How out of touch can you get? But that's who they are, and that's what their candidates have to reflect, because that's what their base voters believe. So the candidates have to adopt this cockamamie, crazy, policy-oriented stuff that is so narrow-casted it doesn't have a prayer of reverberating with anywhere near a majority of the American people. And look at the Democrats' pattern. They don't win the Electoral College in Trump versus Hillary, so what? Ban the Electoral College. Now they don't like the Hawkeye Caucus because they couldn't even count the votes. They're going to ban the Hawkeye Caucus. And now they don't like the fact that nobody's looking good in New Hampshire, so let's ban New Hampshire. It's never them. It's always the system. It's always the... The plan, it's always the mechanism that is at fault. It's never them. It couldn't be that they've nominated in in what they thought was the most fertile ground to win the White House ever. Universal hatred of Donald Trump. This is what they believed. And they can't find anybody... To capitalize on that. Nobody to capitalize that. They thought they could, but they can't find anybody to cap. Why can't they? Because Donald Trump is not universally hated. They continue to live this illusion. And it's just, to me, it's humorous to watch. We've got a, a montage here. It's not just me saying this. Last week... The Friday debate, the drive-by media becoming more and more convinced the Democrats cannot beat Trump. I don't think there was anybody based on tonight's performance that has the Trump campaign quaking in their boots. Did anyone prove they could beat Donald Trump tonight? Frankly, I don't think anyone did a great job of it. The Democrats are still struggling. Among the current crop of candidates... There's a fear that there may not be the ability to take down Donald Trump. Yeah, you hear it time and again. If you were Donald Trump and watching this debate, how would you feel about it? Because my guess is he would feel fine about it. It's a little scary. Democrats should be a little frightened after this. If they can't get their act together soon, it's going to be over before it begins. If we go the way of the British Labor Party, if we nominate Jeremy Coburn, it's going to be the end of days. I'm scared to death. I really am. That was uh, James Carville there. He's uh, going on 75 years of age, and he said, if we, if we go to way to Labor Party, if we nominate Jeremy Carville, we're going to be the end of day. Uh, be out of my gumbo. And he's scared to death. He's scared to death. 
He thinks the party's on the way to becoming a cult. He doesn't like Crazy Bernie. He just has no use for... James, you know I know you, buddy. Known you and your wife a long time. Let... <clears throat> James is one of these Democrats who's living in a bygone era. He thinks this is still the Democrat Party of the Clinton era, and it isn't. This is a far left-wing, radical, revolution-based party. That is the base of the Democrat Party. I think he knows it. I think it's what actually scares him. Um, it, it, it is... It is it is trending here for a secure minority position. Here's ABC Jonathan Carl. Now, this happens every now and then. Trump had a rally Monday night in uh, Manchester. Yeah, and do you know what happened? Trump left that rally early to go to Dover, Delaware to be there with grieving families upon the arrival of two U.S. military personnel killed in Afghanistan. He wanted to be there personally. He says it's the, uh, that's one of the hardest parts of the job, is military deployment, military death, probably true of all presidents. And it, but, but at the New Hampshire rally, it was like them all. You got 34 degrees, 30 degrees, people lined up 24 hours in advance. Thousands more people lining up than will ever be able to get into the arena. And yet they are there and yet they stay. And as is the apparently average case, 25% of those showing up are Democrats. And that's... That figure is pretty much accurate for every Trump rally, no matter where it is. And Trump will draw, at a New Hampshire rally, more people than all the Democrat candidates combined will draw in a couple of three days. Now, the drive-bys don't tell you that because that's devastating news. Donald Trump can go in uncontested. He's not. There's not even a... Republican primary to be concerned about. Trump is the nominee. There's not going to be a question about it. It goes in there. He draws a bigger crowd than all of these Democrats combined. And the drive-bys have been seeing this, and they've been trying to ignore it. Well, crowd size at rallies doesn't mean it's still lying to themselves about a truth they should have been reckoning with for the past Five years, if you count the campaign starting in 2015. So Jonathan Carl of ABC News, he went to the Manchester Trump rally. And whenever these drive-by people actually go get a visa to go to one of these rallies, rather than just watch it on TV or read about it later, they more often than not are profoundly moved by it. Here is Jonathan Carl. This is last night on the ABC News website. 
He's the White House correspondent. His reaction to Trump's rally in Manchester last night. Trump supporters are as fired up as I have ever seen them. I mean, this rally is in an arena that I was at just two nights ago, Saturday night, at an event that included all of the major candidates for the Democratic nomination. And we have a bigger crowd here by far just for Donald Trump than we had on Saturday for all of the Democrats. Trump supporters are very energized. You've got the impeachment acquittal. Good news on the economy and Democrats coming out of Iowa seem to be in disarray. They feel like they're on the winning side. And also, by the way, Trump's approval rating has hit its highest level ever. Yeah, Trump's approval rating in the highest it's ever been. You've got 90% of the American people satisfied with things as they are. The Democrats offering solutions to problems that don't exist. The Democrats are actually talking about problems people don't want to have. So they don't want Democrat solutions to problems that don't exist. Why create the problem just to get Democrat solutions? Democrat solutions to these problems is what led us to the muck and the mire for so many years. Great thing here in three years of sturdy, studied application of opposition policy. Look how quickly this country can rebound. From eight years of an Obama administration telling us it's a new era of decline, America's best days are behind us. You need to lower your expectations. Your job is not coming back if you're in Ohio or if you are in Wisconsin. And 25% of that crowd was Democrats. And the Democrats, oh, man, they, they, just, they can't seem to get energized. Why can't they get energized? When you are offering solutions to problems that don't exist, how does that sound by the average person? You're talking about solutions to problems that don't exist. You must be advocating for the problem. Who wants the problem? If the problem doesn't exist... You don't want that just to get Democrat solutions. One thing's one thing we know is Democrat solutions don't work. They prolong the problem. And there's one more here. Trump, now, I got to take a break. Uh, Trump did his own version of Operation Chaos at the uh, at the rally, which of course I admired. We'll take a break and be back after this. Right on, America's real anchor man, America's truth detector, the Doctor of Democracy. Meeting and surpassing all audience expectations every day. So here's Trump at the rally. Uh, Keep America Great Rally, Manchester, New Hampshire, last night. This is his version of Operation Chaos. We hear that there could be, because you have crossovers in primaries, don't you? So I hear a lot of Republicans tomorrow will vote for the weakest candidate possible of the Democrats. Does that make sense? You people wouldn't do that. My only problem is I'm trying to figure out who is their weakest candidate. I think they're all weak. Classic. Classic. That right there is a microcosm of how Trump is entirely, totally different than your average Washington or anywhere else politician. That is the same attitude that Trump had when he said, hey, Russia, Russia, if you're listening. Maybe you can find the missing Hillary emails. There's so many people in our media looking for. He's totally jabbing them. He's totally jiving them. 
They make it a big deal out of Hillary's missing emails, so he's jamming them up with it, and now he's jamming them about having nobody that can beat him. And then helping the Republicans pile, this is the kind of stuff that that uh, the drive-by is in the dem- this is this is dirty tricks this is this is despicable this is it's a closeted message to the russians and so forth uh and the key thing present here that they lack sense of humor particularly a self-deprecating sense of humor Anyway, let's get started on the phones. Always try to do that in the first hour. Loves Park, Illinois. Rich, where is Loves Park, Illinois? So it's located about 90 miles um, west of Chicago, north of Rockford, Illinois. I wonder. I never missed this. I I can't can't believe it. Loves Park, Illinois. Okay. Well, it's great to know where it is. What's up? What's happening? So my thought is, Rush, that I think at this point the Democrats have realized they don't have a candidate that can beat Trump. So I think they're going to get behind Budapest with the idea that if he loses, when he loses, because he will, that they can then have a built-in excuse that the country's not ready for an openly gay candidate and the Republicans are homophobes. So they can't get behind him because of that. So I think they're going to push for him because of the built-in excuse when they lose, because all the candidates will lose against Trump that were not ready for an openly gay president. Um, well, I understand your, your thinking. That's, um, in fact, very, based on history and the study of Democrats, very sensible, logical theory to explain why they might nominate somebody could lose. I mean, in, like in 1984, they nominated Walter Mondale. knew Reagan was going to win a landslide re-election. So they didn't want to sacrifice somebody they really thought could win the presidency someday. So they let Mondal have it. Mondal had been a loyal war horse for all of his life, Minnesota DFL, and he'd been uh, vice president of Jimmy Carter. So if any Democrat was going to get shellacked and have their career ended, let it be Mondal. Mm. Uh, now, in this, you're, you're thinking here, your stated theory is that uh, the Democrats would love to be able to Win by losing, by claiming they only lost because America is homophobic. Republican voters are still anti-gay, anti-tranny, what have you, and so forth. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't know that this is what the active thinking, there might be some Democrats thinking this, but Mayor Pete is not going to allow himself to be used. Mayor Pete is not going to You want me to lose on purpose so you guys can claim that the country hates people? like He's going to have to play along with this. And the problem with this theory is, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, folks, but I have because I see the stitches on the fastball. The thing you've got to remember here, whether you can see it for yourself or not, This party, and whoever it is running it, uh, take your pick, they do not want Bernie Sanders anywhere near this nomination, and it's not because they're afraid he's going to win. It's because they're afraid he's going to lose and redefine the party as a cult and end its dominance forever. They're looking for anybody to take this. And and it was going to be Focahontas, and she's fading away. I mean, she ought to be mopping the floor in New Hampshire. 
I mean, that's just, you know, a couple teepees away from where she was teaching as a phony Indian at Harvard. No, I'm telling you, the, 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 the Savior, the one, if you read between the lines, the one they're now claiming could be the answer to all their problems is Amy Klobuchar. Don't doubt me. Hi, welcome back. Great to have you. Rush Limbaugh here on a roll. The um, three hours of broadcast excellence underway. Grab soundbite number six. We've got time to squeeze this in. This is Andrea Mitchell, NBC News, Washington on the Today Show today. And it's just more evidence that uh, not looking good for Joe Biden. Not at all. And they could place fifth, certainly fourth. And the fact is, they're beginning to have that feeling of a loser. Mike Bloomberg has moved into position and... Having lost so much of the African-American support, Joe Biden is almost on fumes, really. This is a real problem for their campaign. I, I, I hear this stuff. Where have these people been? You know, they, they, they believe their own conventional wisdom inside baseball stuff. Biden hasn't. It was never going to happen. Beginning to lose the African-American guess I'm going to have to explain that, too. Hang on. Oh, my friends, this is so much fun to watch. Now, you know that Roger Stone was given a sentence of seven to nine years for bragging about knowing Trump and WikiLeaks and whatever the hell else they think he did. And at drive-bys, that's about all they were going to get. You know, out of the Russia thing is Roger Stone going to jail for seven to nine. That, that was going to have to do. That, that was going to have to suffice for victory. Well... <laughs> They are about to blow a gasket in the drive-by media because the DOJ just announced that seven to nine years is excessive and that they're going to drastically reduce it. And so CNN's got a whole panel can be, could you believe this is just not done? The DOJ does not countermand judicial sentences like this is not, this is more Trump corruption. They just... They're they're driving themselves crazy. Trump is driving them nuts. And it is, I have to tell you, it is it is entertaining to watch. Greetings. Great to be here. Great to be back with you. Rush Limbaugh at 800-282-2882. And the email address, lrushbow at eibnet.us. Now, let me expand on this Klobuchar business because I, I, did, I don't, didn't mean to just uh, leave a hanging chad there. Jim Garrity, who writes for uh, National Review Online, had an interesting piece recently. And hang on, cough switch time here. He made the point. It's a piece that um, attempts to illustrate the similarities in the 2016 Republican primaries and the 2020 Democrat primaries. And his point about the 2016 primaries was that all of the Republicans hated Trump. The other, you know, there were 16 candidates, 15 of them, plus Trump. They all hated Trump. They all thought they could beat Trump. Nobody thought Trump could win. And yet, Trump wins. Garrity's point is, if they had coalesced, Behind just one of them, if 14 of those Republicans had agreed to coalesce behind just one Republican, 
so that it was Trump versus one. Whoever, uh, Jeb, Ted Cruz, take your pick, that Trump might have been beatable in the nomination. But as it was, none of these Republicans cared enough about beating Trump to give up their own quest. And so the anti-Trump vote remained divided. Now, there's nothing unique about this. happens in every primary. But it still is an interesting phenomenon to discuss because there were so many Republicans running in 2016. They thought after two years of Obama, it's wide open for us. And anybody who ever dreamed of being president on the Republican side thought they had a chance. And not one of them ever stopped to think somebody like Donald Trump was going to get in. When Trump did, it just blew everything up. And it illustrated that despite everybody talking about how bad Trump was and how necessary it was to stop Trump, they really didn't do what was necessary to stop Trump. They didn't pick one of them and unite behind that person and then go defeat Trump. By the same token, that's Practically the same thing happening here in 2020 with the Democrats. They all hate Trump. Trump's got to be stopped. But none of them are giving up the individual quest. And if they did, if, for example, it could be done, if they could persuade a bunch of these Democrats to give up and coalesce behind one nominee, then maybe that could present some sort of face of uh, unity and uh, definition of the party and so forth, but it isn't going to happen. But I think this is what the Klobuchar, I don't want to say candidates, this is what, and I think an attempt is going to be made to make this happen or effectively happen with Klobuchar, but it's gonna, it, it isn't going to work uh, simply because it, nobody's going to talk Mayor Pete into quitting and uniting behind her. Nobody's going to talk Crazy Bernie into it. Nobody's going to talk Focahontas into it and, and, and Biden. It still is an interesting uh, point to make that Klobuchar is now seen in this see of whatever as 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 the one who is reasonable and representative of uh, mainstream american values with the best shot according to her supporters of defeating trump i think i think that's a a long shot i think people on the left and the democrat party are just caught in so many illusions and delusions and they're so divorced from reality that I just I don't I don't think they have the ability to actively strategize victory. I'm not saying victory can't happen to them because folks, anything can happen tomorrow or the next day that can totally upend what everybody thinks is gonna happen. And predictions are made without factoring those things in because you can't. And that's why polling data this far out really doesn't tell you anything about the end result. And it doesn't tell you anything really about the current day thinking because you know how true it is.
So it becomes uh, the equivalent of watching a horse race and trying to pick the winner after the first turn. You just can't do it. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of the delusion. Here is Chuck U. Schumer. Guess what? You know, Trump's announced a FY21 budget. Fiscal year 21 budget. So, right on time, Pelosi and Schumer had a press conference today to do what? To say they don't like it. To say they disagree with it. Pro forma. Nothing new, nothing shocking. But here is what Chuck Schumer said at that press conference. Primaries are primaries, and there are always lots of sturm and drang. You will see in a few months, Democrats will be strongly united together, and we will be focused like a laser on beating Donald Trump. The enthusiasm that you last saw in 2008 to elect Barack Obama, you will see among Democrats this summer and fall to get Donald Trump out of office. Uh, yeah, okay, on what basis, Chuck Yu, are you making this prediction? Because I, I hate to tell you there isn't an Obama equivalent on your roster right now. And what was it about Obama that led to this magical turnout? It was race combined with media success in driving up hatred for the Iraq war and hatred for the Bush administration and hatred for everything, an an imaginary recession that had not happened. But the magic of the first African-American, what are we going to do to recreate that? You can't. I mean, you've been there, done that. So are we going to have the first Hispanic? No. Are we going to have the first female? Who That was going to be Hillary. I mean, you even have to say that that kind of has been lost since she blew it. I will guarantee you this. Had Hillary Clinton been president, the reaction, oh, my God, first female president. If Klobuchar would ever be elected president, she's going to get nowhere near the acclaim as the first female president Hillary Clinton would have got. So that's even been lost. So where is this magical Obama-like turnout going to come from? Well, according to Schumer, it's going to come from Trump hatred. All right? So where was it in Iowa last week? Where was it? You know how disappointing the Hawkeye-Cawkeye turnout was? Forget the fact they can't count the votes. Forget the fact that they don't even know how to caucus anymore and how to count them. The turnout was dismal. And yeah, and I watched it. I watched all the drive-by media go to all the diners. By the way, is something... Have you seen enough interviews of people eating pancakes and french fries at diners? I don't know. Well, you see that you want, and 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 the drive-bys that pick these people out, and they hate Trump. Oh, they gotta get rid of Trump. We just hate this. So we were told, we were prepped for massive enthusiasm on the Democrat side, massive bursting into seams. Can't wait to get out there and vote to get rid of Trump. And then what happened on caucus night? Crickets. Meanwhile, Trump's got his own caucuses going for the fun of it. He's not even contested, doesn't even have to do it. Draws more people to his caucuses than the Democrats. 
So now, Mr. Snurdly, you paying attention? Are we are we getting any reports of turnout yet in New Hampshire today? Really? What is it now? Uh, don't you think that if the turnout of New Hampshire was, in fact, overwhelming, we would have gotten little hints about it? Don't you know the drive-bys can't wait to tell that story? Meanwhile, Trump goes to New Hampshire, draws a bigger crowd than all the Democrat rallies combined, and here's Chuck U. Schumer saying, that doesn't matter what's happening now. You wait till the convention. You wait till November. We're going to have a bigger turnout than we had in 2008. If you're counting on Trump hatred to propel that turnout, you haven't learned a thing. All right. Now, I mentioned in the previous hour that one of the mistakes that Plugs made was mentioning me. The Democrats believe that they can fundraise off my name. They believe that they can get cheers and accolades by mentioning my name and that it's going to redound to their benefit. And I want to demonstrate here via audio soundbite that that's not how this happens. We're at audio soundbite number seven. Now, this is Friday night in Manchester. This is live on ABC's during the Democrat presidential debate. And Biden is talking about Trump. Oh, I can't wait to talk about this. Frog marching Vindman out of the White House. Oh, say can you see you later by the dawn. This guy, I, I, we all know an Alexander Vindman. We've all had at least two of these guys in every class in high school. We've all had a guy like this somewhere where we work. This guy turns tail on Trump, participates in an impeachment hearing and an attempt to get Trump thrown out of office. And now people think it's outrageous that Trump would fire the guy. This is unheard of. This kind of retaliation is un... What do you mean, retaliation? What about what Vindman did? He's a decorated military man, Mr. Limbaugh. How dare you assault his motive? What do you mean decorated? I can assault his motives all I want. It doesn't matter what his medals are. It matters what he did. And he made up a bunch of stuff. Sitting there saying Trump didn't follow his talking points. He doesn't set foreign policy. Trump never even met this guy. Trump doesn't know this guy produces talking, but Vindman's taking it personally. He did not follow the talking points that I wrote. I produced the talking points for that phone call. I do U.S. national security for Ukraine. In your dreams, dude, do you do national security for Ukraine? You might have with the Obama years, your buddy Eric Sharamella, the whistleblower, but Vindman's going to be okay. He's back at the Army somewhere, some Army War College. Uh, I just, I, I marvel at all these people. It's so unfair what happened to Vindman. This retaliation has got to stop. Yeah, like, you can sit there and anybody can shoot at you and take pot shots at you. And you just have to sit there and take it. And you got to thank them after you survive it. 
and you got to walk up and shake their hand, say, nice try. Nope, it isn't how it works anywhere. You take a shot at the leader, the king, if you miss, you're history. And everybody in this game knows that. Anyway, anyway, Biden's being asked about, about Vindman uh, and, and being fired and walked out of the White House. And this is what Plugs had to say. Colonel Vindman got thrown out of the White House. They walked out. I think we should, and at the same time, he should be pinning a medal on Vindman and not on Rush Limbaugh. And I think, I think what we should be doing now. I think we should all stand and give Colonel Vindman a, a, a show of how much we supported him. Stand up and clap for Vindman. Get your stand up, up for Vindman. Stand up. Right, stand up for Vindman. No, 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 I'm not playing this because it's about me. I'm telling you, Plugs thought that he was going to score big by mentioning me, by pitting Vindman against me, and so forth. And here's how it... Uh, uh, we'll get back to soundbite eight. Soundbite number... Uh, Nine. This is David Axelrod and uh, the Joe Lockhart, and they are talking about how phony and practiced and ill-delivered uh, Biden's line was. That had all the earmarks of something that was planned that he wanted to do, um, and that and it, and it was effective. But it also, you know, he he just getting getting the whole thing, laying it out, is not. His, he's not smooth in doing it, and uh, so it could have been a, a more effective moment than it was. David has hit on a, a point, which is when you try to script Joe Biden, it doesn't work. And he kind of stepped on his own line. Well, in the first place, he mispronounced my name, Rush Limbaugh. Uh, but the whole thing was, was ill-conceived. And the amount of – I was actually surprised at how little applause Biden got for it. Anyway, there's, there's a staccato or an exclamation point to this, but i got to do a break first. So hang on. We'll be right back. Sorry, wrong. But uh, the, the, the Drudge Report does have a, a link to record turnout, question mark, uh, in New Hampshire. I didn't click on it. Look, i got to run fast here. Uh, soundbite 10 and 11. Now, the point here is Biden invokes my name. He liked it so much, he did it again. And after doing it, he has fled New Hampshire, conceding defeat. And this has happened before. This is what I want to illustrate. So here is Biden yesterday in Are you Manchester. ready to get rid of a president who pins the presidential medal of freedom on Rush Limbaugh? Are you ready to get rid of a president who has marched to decorate a war hero out of the White House for telling the truth and who is a real hero and has real courage and escorted him out. Right, so there he is, me versus Vindman again. Of course, Vindman, more on him later. Now, when has this happened in the past? It happened in, let's see, it was, uh, this was 2004, and I this this happened when how it's either Iowa or New Hampshire. This is actually a montage. Uh, all of the times Howard Dean tried to revive his faltering campaign using me. I am tired of having Rush Limbaugh lay a claim to the American flag. So we aren't under the thumb of the Rush Limbaugh's. We are taking our country back piece by piece from the Rush Limbaugh's. We have the power to take back the United States of America, so our flag is not owned by Rush Limbaugh. You have the power to take back our country so that the flag no longer represents solely Rush Limbaugh. You have the power 
to take back our country so that the flag never again is the sole property of Rush Limbaugh. The flag of the United States doesn't belong to Rush Limbaugh. So the flag of the United States of America is no longer the sole property of Rush Limbaugh. You have the power to take back our country so that the flag of the United States is no longer the sole property of Rush Limbaugh. This country does not belong to Rush Limbaugh. I want my country back, Mr. President. That flag belongs to every single American, not to Rush Limbaugh. Move over. I want my country back again because the flag of this country does not belong to Rush Limbaugh. You have the power to take back the flag so it does no longer belong solely to Rush Limbaugh. Ah! <laughs> this guy, flame out. Howard Dean flamed out. It, won, it was one prime. He was supposed to win. I think it was either Iowa. He was supposed to win the Hawkeye Hawkeye real big and came in 23rd and it was over. Uh, and I don't even remember why he got on this roll thinking that the flag was mine or why anybody else in the Democrat Party thought the flag was mine. <laughs> this is so funny to go back and listen to that, but... This is what happens. They think they're going to skyrocket, mentioning my name, and it doesn't end up helping them. Yeah, it was January 19th, 2004, and Howard Dean, that that, that was the date of the Hawkeye Caucus. Howard Dean, according to all the pre-pub polling data, was just going to smoke everybody in the Hawkeye Hawkeye, and he finished near last place, and that's when John Kerry came out of nowhere. John Kerry served Vietnam, by the way, uh, and ended up on the track to win the Democrat nominee. Literally came out of nowhere. Dean finished way better. That's when that's, he was going nuts. And I was not his problem then, just like I'm not Plugs' problem now. Plugs' problem now is falling poll numbers, not me. Anyway, to the phones we go to Wright, Wyoming. Ryan, great to have you with us, sir. Hello. Hey, Rush. Prayers and gratitude to you for everything you do. Uh, I'm glad you were talking about the Democrats because I was watching uh, the town hall with Joe Biden a week ago, and a gal stepped up to the mic and asked him what he was looking for in a running mate, and he immediately asked her if she was available. And then uh, on top of that, he went on to describe that he would look for someone younger who was immediately available and ready to step in to be president because he was too old and everybody knew it. And how, how, did, how did you interpret that, Ryan? When you... Well, I, just, I interpreted that if he was basically just telling everybody he didn't really want to do the job. He just wanted to be the president for a little while and then someone younger and... Uh, better for the party can take over. Well, since we got Biden stories going, and I remember that, I did, somebody young, the, the, the way to entrap Biden is to ask him a question to which the answer might involve a young woman. And if you can do that, you can trip plugs up. That, 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 that question did. But try this. If you think that was bad, grab soundbite number 12 here. This happened uh, Sunday. You probably heard about this by now. This is in Hampton, New Hampshire. Let's see. This was at a town hall. This was not at a diner. By the way, Steve Ducey, Fox says, hey, we're the first ones that did diner stuff. 
Ducey said this morning that uh, that that Fox and Friends were the first anywhere to go to diners. Well, I didn't know I was not. I'm not ripping Fox News by doing this. I'm not. I was wasn't ripping anybody. I'm just making an observation. So anyway, here is here's Biden, unidentified woman, asking him about his pathetic performance in the Hawkeye Caucus. How do you explain the performance in Iowa, and why should the voters believe that you can win the national election? It's a good question. Number one, I was a Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. <laughs> now, <laughs> shouldn't he have been finished? Let anybody else say that to an otherwise nice voter. He said, you ever been to a caucus? She said, yeah, I've been to a caucus. You haven't, you lying dog-faced pony soldier. Does anybody... What is a dog-faced pony soldier? Oh, I know a dog-faced... What, what is a pony soldier? Does anybody know? Well, I guess there were ponies that had little... What? What? I should look it up. You know, these are, I, I didn't bother to look it up. I'm, I'm plug set it. I'm, I'm sure that there is such a thing as a pony. So you're lying. <laughs> you haven't. You're a lying dog faced pony. An officer with the Canadian Mounted Police is what a pony soldier is. Okay, so this woman is a lying, dog-faced Mountie. Here's Eddie in Queens. Eddie, I'm glad you waited. You're next on the EIB Network. Hi. Hey, Rush. Hey. Hey, what's going on, Rush? Hey, quick uh, two, two-part question for you that I think is detrimental to this election. First part is, um, because this is something that I think that's really going to crush the Democrats if it gets passed, uh, especially non-union or union, uh, is the infrastructure bill. Do you think the president can get that passed before Election Day? And uh, the second part of my question is, is it possible for him to have rallies in cities like where I live that are Democratic strongholds in New York, Los Angeles? Because I feel like when the other side is shown with their counter-protesting and all their nonsense, that that only emboldens us to vote for President Trump, and it's only going to make the case even better for him. Uh, he can do a rally anywhere he wants. There's nothing that says he can't. It would be a decision that would probably involve allocation of resources, uh, meaning do they want to spend the money uh, in a place where there might not be return on investment. But so I, I think one would be... Worthwhile. I have long been an advocate that Trump do a rally in California. Plant the flag. Go out and plant the flag. I mean, even though the party affiliation is such that election there is uh, victory there seems seems uh, seems hopeless. At least go out, plant the flag, uh, and you never know what what will happen. New York. Uh, he was born in New York. Lived for the longest time in New York. Natural thing to do. Now. And I wouldn't be surprised if he did did one in New Jersey. And I wouldn't be surprised if he does one in New York. I wouldn't be surprised if he does one in New York, California, during this campaign season. The infrastructure bill, 
uh, I, it's going to be tough only because it's an election year and the Democrats are not going to let anything happen that would benefit Trump, even if it'll benefit them. The only things that are going to happen legislatively, because the Democrats run the House, and the House is where all spending bills originate. And the only way anything coming out of there is going to happen is if it hurts Trump. It can help the Democrats, but it has to hurt. And the way they can define hurting Trump is by not helping him. And the infrastructure bill, you're right. I mean, that would solidify a lot of union support. But I think Trump's coalescing a lot of union support anyway. I think a whole mess of blue-collar voters have already moved in the Trump direction simply because of the direction of the economy and the status of people's lives in general. Now, I... I need to also remind everybody that I live in a different world than everybody else covering politics. And I, I become more aware, the more I watch, of how far away from it I am. Not, not in the ability to commentate on it and to analyze it correctly, but how far away from it I am in terms of being part of it. During this program today, I have had CNN on here, and I've had Fox, which they're the two I have on every day. And it's the New Hampshire primary, and both networks are talking to voters, primarily Democrat voters. And they're lining up people who were undecided. They're lining up people who have chosen a candidate. They're asking them why they're voting for certain candidates and why they're not and this kind of thing. And I'm not uh, as affected by this as I was when I was first starting out. And, and, and you first start out, politics is what it is. You go to where it's happening and you get enmeshed in it the way it is. And then you find out after years and years and years the parts of it that are phony, the parts of it that are, that are make-believe, that are structured, that are, that are not really true. I mean, there's so much illusion and there's so much... Uh, conformity. There is so much conformity. Everybody's saying the same thing. Everybody the same analysis one way or the other. It all boils down to the same thing. And I, I began to notice myself distancing from it. And not because I wanted to, just because more and more of what I saw and more and more of what I heard didn't jibe. It didn't, it didn't make sense. It didn't seem what I would say, having just watched something. And at first, I wondered, okay, am I wrong? Should I trust myself or should I go ahead and go with the flow here? And as time went on, I began to be more confident and trust myself that my take on these things was far more correct than the conventional wisdom conformity. Because when you have conventional wisdom and conformity, what do you have? uniformity of thought and how many people are involved in this you've got how many tv networks how many people on these networks how many websites how many you name it all doing the same story the new hampshire primary all talking to the same voters and all angling for the same answers and all analyzing it the same way it's it, it struck me one day that 
It's all the same. And a lot of it is not even right. So how is this manifesting itself to me today? Well, I've got to take a break, but I'll try to I'll try to make it understandable when we come back. So sit tight. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rush Limbaugh. Half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. So the drive-by media interviewing all of these voters in New Hampshire, supposedly hand-picked, randomly chosen. But there is a purpose. The purpose is to create this impression that it's over for Trump, that it's over for any Republican. Whenever there's a Democrat primary going on, they go out and they find these primary voters and they go, these are the smartest. These are independents. These are centrists. These are people who weigh the issues. It's all a game. And yet everybody in this game plays this game like it's all legit, like it's not structured, like there's not an outcome, like it is indeed all random. And it isn't. And it took me the longest time. Well, it didn't take me that long. I've had this figured out about 20 years. And if you are, it it, it really helps to be a nonconformist. Now, being a nonconformist can be a lonely existence. And God love nonconformists. We need conformists. If there weren't conformists, why, we wouldn't have... Socialism in Cuba. If we if we didn't have conformists, we wouldn't have people willing to work in authoritarian corporate structures. Let me give you another example. I mentioned Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Oh, say can you see earlier? The conventional wisdom is that here's a guy wearing his army medals, decorated. National Security Council staff, the White House. Terribly upset over what he thought he heard in a phone call between President Trump and Zelensky in Ukraine. Was so distressed and was so torn by this. So, so scared what this meant for American national security. That he had to do something. And what he had to do was to help put in motion the eventual impeachment of Donald Trump. And so it became, you couldn't criticize Colonel Vindman, remember? Couldn't criticize anybody wearing the uniform. No, 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 don't you dare. Never mind. They could destroy David Petraeus all day long. They could destroy Michael Flynn all day long. But we can't talk about Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. So Trump comes along finally and fires Vindman and fires Vindman's brother and fires all these people, Gordon Sondland, all these people that participated in the coup, which is what it was. And so here comes the conformist reaction. Oh, this is horrible. Donald Trump should not be able to retaliate this way. This is absolutely reprehensible. This is so beneath. We can't have whistleblowers anymore if there's going to be retaliation. So... The conformist view is whenever there is criticism of a Republican president, it's legit. We got to sit there. We got to deal with it. We got to take it. And even when it's shown to be bogus and filled with lies, we can't take retribution or reciprocity and deal with the person who got the ball rolling. Well, sorry, not in my world. I'm going to tell you what I think. 
You heard in this whole story, Obama expanded the National Security Council staff to over 230 people. You know what the National Security Council staff is? That's a personal staff to the president. They are in the White House complex. They are in the West Wing and the old executive office building complex. And they are direct employees of the president. George W. Bush ran the Iraq War and the War on Terror with 100 members on that. Obama expands it and blows it up to 230 with people like the Venmans and Eric Sharamella, who is this pajama boy whistleblower, and people like Sean Misko, who ends up going to work for Pencil Neck Schiff. And then you remember how Obama multiplied the number of federal agencies who had access classified data? I think what this actually, I think as, as Obama was leaving office, he expanded the National Security Council staff and then enlarged the number of agencies that had access to whatever classified data they did so that he planted moles. This is where they planted the moles. This is where they planted the the moles all over the NSC. The Vindman twins, Fiona Hill, the whistleblower, Abigail Grace, who left the NSC shortly after the Trump phone call. She went to work for Schiff. So did, uh, so did Sean Misko. Every one of these people is an Obama holdover. And I remember, why in the hell are they still there? Why didn't Trump clean house and reduce this number back down to 75 to 100 people who, uh, who are working for him? I don't know the answer. But my guess would be that he had people advising him not to do it. It's very important. It was something good that Obama did, Mr. President, so we might take advantage of it. But I think that's where all of this came from. I think where the Trump-Russia collusion, I think all of this, uh, the FBI and and that element of it, true. But the the inside Trump administration moles, the turncoats, whatever you want to call them, they are Obama appointees that had jobs expanded as Obama was leaving office for the express purpose of protecting Obama's achievements and sabotaging whoever was to come next, in this case, Trump. Now, if you look at all this stuff, there has been nothing that has been more potentially damaging to Trump than this garbage coming out of these NSC people in the leaks, the, the Ukraine impeachment, the Schiff investigations, all these presidential phone call leaks. Where do you think those things came from? Obama holdovers in the National Security Council. I mean, the, all roads in the effort to get rid of Trump right back to the top of the Obama administration. I don't think there's any question about it. Well, I don't know what the exit poll data is, meaning I don't know what the release schedule is on the exit poll data from New Hampshire. But it must already be out, Mr. Snurdly, because the, uh, depending on which network you turn, you, it doesn't matter. The winner tonight, Bernie Sanders. The big loser tonight, Joe Biden. That's the takeaway. Big winner tonight, crazy Bernie. And do you know, in, in some, some people are saying the reason crazy Bernie's going to win is because he had a rally that drew 7,500 people last night. <laughs> 
Uh, he had uh, Alexandre Ocasio-Cortez, and he also had some musical group, and there probably some free hemp uh, <clears throat> being passed around, but but whatever. They, 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 now all of a sudden, crowd size matters at, uh, at Democrat events. You mean, you mean when? Oh, well, if, if Crazy Bernie wins the nomination, they're not going to let it happen. This is the thing. He, 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 he could have, if they'd have stayed out, if the DNC had stayed out of it in 2016, I'm convinced he would have beaten her. She was never the preferred candidate of that party. She never had any enthusiasm. That whole thing was a setup. It was... It was baked in. It was supposed to be her in 2008 that Obama decides he wants it and they couldn't say no. So she got shoved to say she's the most cheated on woman in America. Democrats blew her off and then they said, we'll give it to you back in 2016. And they said, we can really have it now because anybody can beat Trump, even you. We're going to give it to you in a year you can't possibly lose, Hillary. And yet she managed to lose. So, uh, when if 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 Ber- what what do you mean if they can't rig it so that he loses this time? Ah, you're forgetting the Russians. You're forgetting that the Democrats have an in with the Russians. It isn't Trump. The Democrats can call on the Russians to do anything they need to do to sabotage the crazy Bernie campaign. <laughs> I, 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 I just don't think that they're going to let Crazy Bernie win this. And either way, if he does, or if they succeed in sabotaging again, either way, it's just going to be one of the best shows on earth to sit here and watch. I want to, um, I, I haven't done this in a long time. I want to talk about the Oscars for just a second, not the awards themselves. But I read you know, the TV ratings at an all-time low for this show, the Academy Awards show. And the real thing I want to talk about is Orson Bean. The, the, the Orson Bean is how I want to get into this. Orson Bean was a healthy, vibrant, 91 years old, living in California, and he was hit by a car over the weekend and killed. He was a legendary television and movie performer. And he was a conservative. He oftentimes spoke of the Hollywood that existed when he was coming up. It was a Hollywood that loved God and a Hollywood that loved America. And he lamented its demise. Yeah, he was the father-in-law of Andrew Breitbart. And I don't know how many people, I got a lot of a lot more people than I'm aware probably know the story. Andrew Breitbart from California was a born and bred radical leftist. Had no other option. That's just the way he came out of the womb. That was his surroundings. That was his universe. He fell in love with Orson Bean's daughter, and that 
of course, necessitated Andrew hanging around with Orson Bean. And one day, and I'm going to really truncate this story, one day at Orson Bean's home, Breitbart saw a copy of my first book on the shelf, The Way Things Ought to Be. And he started chiding his father, what the hell are you doing with that? Why in the world would you have a book written by some fascist right-winger on your bookshelf that anybody could see? And the story goes that Orson Bean said, Andrew, take that book and read it. Just read it. Didn't say anything else. Just take the book and read it, Andrew. And Breitbart did. Took the book, took the book, read it. Because of the book, started listening to this program on KFI in Los Angeles. And became a full-fledged 180-degree convert to one of the most prominent conservative cultural, pop-cultural activists the movement has ever had. And he was... Uh, effusive in his explanation for how it happened, my book. And it wouldn't have happened had it not been for Orson Bean. And I had mentioned this a couple of times over the years and expressed my gratitude to Orson Bean. I was just... I I got a note. I was in in the the hospital over the weekend and I got a note. I'm sure you've heard about Orson Bean. And I hadn't heard about anything because I had been out of it. So... That's when I learned what had happened to Orson. And I, I, reading about it, found myself reconnecting with this story. And the way Orson told the story interposed and interjected with uh, Andrew Breitbart's own words. It's tearjerker. And it happened to coincide with the day the Academy Awards uh, were going to be presented and that show that happened, and it was an absolute disaster. And I just couldn't stop thinking about how Orson Bean was correct in describing how Hollywood used to be. It used to be every bit as red, white, and blue, God, apple pie America as any of us are. This is not a discussion of when that changed and why. We, we all know that. So, so two things about this. And the sound bites I'm going to need are near the end. Let's see if we get, uh, I guess, 25, uh, 22 and 23 and 24. Apparently, this sh- I didn't see the show, but I, I saw some video clips that we're going to play the audio from here in a moment. There was a story in, I'm not sure what the public, I think it was, no, it wasn't Vanity Fair, was it Variety, might have been Variety, I'm not sure which. A story about how the age of celebrity is dead, and the point of the story is that the internet has killed the Hollywood star. And it, I mean, that just that subhead, the internet has killed the Hollywood star. Boom, home run, exactly right. And the only people that don't know it are the celebrities. The only people that don't know it are the Hollywood stars. One of my first expressed concerns, and it wasn't a big one, but 
about social media was that it was facilitating fantasy. That it was allowing people to live fantasies that were not true. Imagining themselves to be stars and celebrities and living on the red carpet all from the basement while clad in their pajamas. Creating literal illusions that they fall into and believe that end up creating the most unhealthy circumstances for growing older and maturing and learning how to enjoy life. And I read this piece here. Starts this way. It's by a guy named Freddie Gray. said, come friendly bombs and fall on Hollywood. Hollywood is not fit for doing good. Another year, another dreadful Oscars, another round of moral lectures from the beautiful people. It's all so tiresome. The only reason most people pay attention to these irritating ceremonies is precisely so they can be irritated. So there's a vegan theme at this year's awards. The show had no host, so Brad Pitt's mad about impeachment. Somebody said workers of the world unite. Joaquin Phoenix is mad about what mankind is doing to cows. Natalie Portman's upset that there weren't any women directors nominated. So what? All these people are ridiculous. Nothing they say makes any difference to anything. Actors are increasingly aware, thanks in part to Ricky Gervais ribbing them at the Golden Globes, that nobody cares what they think. At some unconscious level, these actors must know that they don't really know anything about politics or the real world. They can't admit this to themselves, of course, human nature being what it is, so they double down. They convince themselves that any angry reaction to their moralizing is an indication they have dared to speak truth. How brave they are. And so the infuriating cycle continues. Actors end up almost trolling the public. The public trolls them back on social media. The Internet has killed the Hollywood star. Fame has been disrupted. Because anybody can be famous now. Anybody can tell themselves they're famous now. Anybody can pretend to be famous. It isn't any big deal anymore. But there's another reason why. It's a, it's a hard one to explain, to. The simplest way to explain it is all the mystique is gone. And I think it's happening not just to Hollywood stars. I think it's happening to anybody who performs. Professional athletes. It used to be, and I, this is not a clamor for the old days. Do not misunderstand. Just an acknowledgement of how things have changed. It used to be that nobody was permitted on the stage except the performers. You're in the crowd watching the stage. You're paying to be there and watch the stage, but you dare not set foot on the stage or security is going to come and throw you out. You do not do it. You never were in, in sports. You're never in the locker room. You were never at the filming. You never saw the outtake. You never saw anything. You never saw anything but the finished, perfect product, if it was a movie or a TV show. But all that's gone. The mystique, how it's done, the fact that nobody is that special doing any of these things, it's all gone. 
And now anybody can visit the stage anytime they want. It isn't special. People not qualified to be on the stage can go there, interact with the people on the stage. It, it has taken a lot of the allure and the magic and the aura of being qualified to be on the stage away because now anybody can go there via a video, via a live Periscope feed, via a live YouTube feed. I mean, there's no stopping it. There's no turning about it. And my point is not to try. But in all of this, here we have these Hollywood actors like Joaquin Phoenix and Brad Pitt who are clueless about the fact that Freddie Gray is right. Nobody cares what they, they are not the influencers anymore. They're not the Marlon Brandos or the John Houstons of the day when when they proselytized at the Academy Awards. Yeah, it mattered. It caused kerfuffles and it caused ruffles. Now it just causes people to react with laughter. And can you believe these idiots? And it is a... I mean, I don't know where it's going. I don't know what it's going to mean for for uh, for Hollywood, the age of celebrity. But it's it's when everybody is a star, nobody is. When everybody is a famous influencer, nobody is. Well, not true. There are always going to be a select few genuine, real ones, and you'll know who they are by how difficult it is to find them by how difficult it is to learn about them. But all these people who are going out of their way to make everybody know everything about them is a desperate quest for fame that is guided by a massive insecurity. And the people that don't have this insecurity and the people that don't seek this kind of notoriety are the people that are going to have it. And I think it's actually a good thing this has happened in the sense that somebody, these clowns can make these crazy statements after winning their awards and have them literally seen by fewer and fewer people with literally no impact whatsoever. Give an example... Here's Joaquin, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, number 23 in 3, 2, 1. We've become very disconnected from the natural world. And many of us, what we're guilty of is an egocentric worldview. The belief that we're the center of the universe. We go into the natural world and we plunder it for its resources. We feel entitled to artificially inseminate a cow... And when she gives birth, we steal her baby, even though her cries of anguish are unmistakable. And then we take her milk that's intended for a calf, and we put it in our coffee and our cereal. Boy, do we suck. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's the Academy Awarded Best Actor for a movie appropriately called a Joker. We are the center of the universe, Mr. Phoenix. Humanity is the center of the universe by design. We are the stewards of the universe. 
We are the stewards of the natural world. We are the ones bestowed with the intelligence and the compassion to do it. We have more cows and more milk than anybody knows, and there isn't a cow in the world that is anguished when her calf is taken away for more than five minutes because she doesn't remember it. It's a gift of God. Remember the story, Mr. Snurdly? A cow fell into a uh, frozen lake, and the media was there to see it, and other cows didn't even care. They didn't even notice it. One day the cow was there, and the next moment it disappeared in the water. But the media wrote that neighboring cows were looking on with great concern. They don't have the capacity to look. Hope and fear. Hope and fear. Don't have the capacity for hope and fear. Humanity has to feed itself. The means by which we do so has been given to us by God. We are the stewards of. These people are literal fools. This is what this writer meant. They don't know what they're talking about. This is not even liberalism. This is just some sort of feel-good wackoism that seeks primacy by placing humanity on no higher level than any other living organism. Okay, we're going to go back to the phones. This is Tanya. Tanya's in Atlanta. It's great to have you. I'm glad you waited. Hi. Rush, how are you? Good, thank you. my call. Um, First things, congrats on the Medal of Freedom. Well-deserved. Um... My comment is, um, you know, I watch these debates just to see how bad they're going to be. Um, and I, I uh, can't figure out how people would actually vote for Bernie Sanders, how he could be the leading candidate for the Democrat Party. And then I'm thinking, well, I should know why, because I've seen what talked to my daughter in school, a progressive, anti-American, untrue history, socialist mindset. And so now they're creating, you know, generations of this kind of mindset. Yeah. How, how does the Democratic Party merge back together? And I don't even know if they can at this point. That's my question. Uh, oh, I, I, uh, who was it that when, when they asked, is anybody afraid of socialism? Wasn't it Klobuchar the only one who raised her hand? Right. She's the only one. And I thought to myself, I know somebody else wants to raise their hand, but they won't do it. They just won't do it. I thought Biden's got to want to raise his hand, but he didn't do it. Uh, I'm not. Look, 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 look. I, I'm. I. I'm. You couldn't even convince me. Biden understood the question. True. Um, <laughs> well, look. I'm not even. I'm not even trying to be snarky or funny. I just like it's. I don't think Joe Biden has belonged in this thing since the beginning. And I. And whoever decided, I know he did in part, but. It's really been a disservice to him, and it's for somebody else's agenda or reason that they put him up there. And I think part of it is this quest to stop Bernie Sanders. Look, make no mistake, I don't care what you hear out of James Carville. He's 75, and he isn't the Democrat Party anymore. The Democrat Party is a socialist leftist party because that's what their base is. That's what they must be to hold their base. A party is what its base is. This is what Carville knows. This is what Chris Matthews knows. This is what bugs them. They have lost their old party. Here is Mike on the big island, Hawaii. Great to have you, sir. Hello. Rush, I think we owe Obama a portion of gratitude uh, for what he started in 2008. And my thought on this is that in 2008, he was pretty young. If he played ball with the... Clintons and maybe did one term as VP, um, Hillary would have gotten her wish, first female president. Obama could have come up from behind and 
giving us a one-two punch as far as the Democrats, first female pres- uh, president and next um, African-American president. And then luckily he took out Romney in 2012. Seems like he would have been a super rhino at that point. And then all that, because of what Obama did in 2008, he cleared the field for our wonderful President Trump. Even though Obama did eight years of disaster, three years of Trump, we're back on a roll. Well, this is a very uplifting, positive way of looking something that was a miserable eight years to live through. Uh, yes. And I, I have to, I have to applaud you for that. Look, I can't, I can't deny that uh, Obama winning did indeed uh, pave the way for a lot of things. He did take out Pierre Delecto, um, and I think he also took out Hillary. I think Obama's response. But let me tell you something: for whatever good that you want to assign Obama for having created the roadway or the pathway for Trump. Do not forget out there, Mike, that every one of these hoaxes or elements of the coup or impeachment fiascos, Mueller, every one of these things, every leak of a Trump presidential phone call Remember the um, remember that anonymous piece in the New York Times written by a supposed adult in the Trump White House, assuring everybody that there are adults there, making sure that Trump doesn't run. These are all Obama people. These are all Obama plants. These are all Obama holdovers. The majority of them are on this bloated, expanded, expanded National Security Council staff which works for the president. Did it not strike, and it did me, that when this Ukraine thing happened, that all of these saboteurs are from the president's own National Security Council? Eric Sharamella, Obama holdover, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, Fiona Hill, this whole ambassadorial corps, They're all Obama holdovers. And the whole thrust of the argument to get rid of Trump was that he was violating American foreign policy. Well, whose? Because he's the president. He sets it. So, yeah, Obama doing this and that paved the way for Trump, but... Uh, I, I actually think we're just now, in fact, there's a piece in the stack here. Let me give, this is a, yeah, it's Charlie Hurt. Charlie Hurt in the Washington Times has a, a piece that ran uh, yesterday. Democrats shoot and miss, so now it's time to give Trump a first term. This is, this is uh, a piece basically told the Democrats, are, they've, they've, they've shot everything they've got at Trump and they missed. They failed to so much as tussle his hair. As a result today, Trump is stronger than he's ever been, stronger than the day he got elected, stronger than the day he took office. After all, on both those days, he and his campaign were still being illegally spied on by political opponents from the Obama administration. Considering all the dark forces arrayed against Trump, it's truly a wonder he's managed to accomplish all that he has. 
in the past three years. But it was hardly a first term. There was no honeymoon, as they call it. There wasn't even a break. There wasn't even an interruption in the campaign against him. Trump loves to drive his enemies out of their minds by joking about serving a third, fourth, or fifth term, but he really, Charlie Hurts, but he really hadn't had his first term yet. Meaning they've done everything they can to sabotage it. But now Trump is on the warpath. The point is Trump is stronger than he has ever been. He is more vibrant than he has ever been. He's more confident than he has ever been. Um, he's vanquished all of these little ankle biters. But they aren't fit. Folks, there are still 10 months to go. And don't for a minute think that their quiver is empty. There'll be something, and it's going to be as outrageously ridiculous as all these other things have been. Many, whatever they have waiting, will require Trump to do something or say something in order to trigger whatever they have on hold. And they're banking on Trump will do it. And I don't think that they have learned a single lesson yet about any of this. Let me take a brief time out. Be back and continue right after this. Don't go anywhere. Okay, folks, some, uh, I guess, housekeeping stuff. Just to keep you up to speed, I will be here tomorrow and then off Thursday and Friday. Um, remember that I I said when I announced this, um, this cancer diagnosis that I'm going to be here as often as I can uh, other than the days that I have to be away uh, for treatment and if there's any side effect or reaction to it. No idea yet. That That is the next phase, and that's what's going to be happening uh, Thursday and Friday if I, if I pass a couple other tests. So that's – and we want to get going uh, on that obviously as quickly as, uh, as possible. So the thing to to know is that I'm going to do everything I can to be here as often as I can um, that while, while not causing any setbacks. And right now, I don't know uh, what, what kind of side effects there are going to be to this. Everybody's different uh, with the way they react to these things. I've been an ox my whole life. I, I, don't, I don't react uh, to things like most people do, and I have survived numerous attempts uh, to inflict harm on myself with no pain whatsoever. So, <laughs> excuse me, remnants of the flu here. So uh, my attitude on this remains upbeat and, uh, and positive, and as, as I know as much in advance when I'm going to be here or not, I'll let you know. So Thursday and Friday will be away and gone. But even some on those days, I'm, I'm going to try to way to stay, find a way to stay connected um, as best as best I can. Now, CNN. I was talking about this just today. The man on the street interviews, trying to gauge public opinion, yada yada yada. They went out. They talked to 100 New Hampshire Democrats. They couldn't find a single Biden voter. So we're at Ward 1 in Dover. They're averaging about 150 voters an hour here. That would put them at about 
2016 level, but not 2008 when Barack Obama was was running, and there was great uh, Democratic enthusiasm. Uh-oh. I've been doing my own sort of unofficial exit poll as voters leave here. This uh-huh. is a very liberal area of uh-huh. New Hampshire. Most right. people supporting Bernie Sanders. Yeah. A lot of people, number two, saying Pete Buttigieg they like. Uh-huh. Amy Klobuchar, interestingly enough, a lot of people say they've come round to her since uh-huh. her performance in the debate last uh-huh. week. Don't and then Elizabeth that. Warren rounding all that out. Most surprising here is that of all the voters I've talked to, and we're talking probably upwards of 100 right now, not a single one saying they support Joe Biden. Not a single one in 100 interviews say they are supporting Joe Biden. So, snurdly. So, we'll, we'll concede here that the big winner tonight is going to be Crazy Bernie. Who's going to come in number two, do you think? You think Buddha Judge is going to come in number second? Mr. Mr. Pete going to come in, or Mayor Pete going to be number two? Okay, we'll see. I'll, I'll, you know what? Just to be different, just to be unique, I'll say that Klobuchar will come in second. We'll just see. We'll find out. Here's uh, here's Todd in uh, Harriman, Utah. You're next, sir. Great to have you with us. Hello. Thank you, Rush. Uh, good day, sir. I'm a first-time caller. My wife and I love you very much, and we love your show. Thank you, sir. I've had a question for a long time that I've never heard anybody ask, and I've never heard an answer to, but it's been something I wondered. Back when Obama was president, we would get and hear the jobs numbers come through, and then shortly thereafter we would hear those numbers rounded down or changed dramatically. But we haven't heard that, or I haven't heard that with President Trump either way, up or down. We just hear the job numbers, and they seem to stay where they were. Why did that happen, and is it happening now? Well, it's it's because of the way the reporting agencies report. In the Obama administration, they'd report the original numbers, and then they'd have to revise them down because they always inflated them. It's just, it's just, just who they were. Uh, Trump unemployment numbers... They don't have to be revised. Um, they're they're solid and good. They continue to shock people. What is subject to revision are the Trump GDP numbers. Those numbers have been revised downward slightly, um, but Trump's unemployment numbers have been have been pretty solid. And it's interesting. Nobody's arguing about them, even on the left. Well, it's the uh, fastest three hours in media. It's in the can, folks. We're finished, but we'll. Be back. Revved and ready to go 21 hours from now on Wednesdays. Look forward to it. Thanks so much for being with us today, as always. And make sure you're here tomorrow, because whatever happens in New Hampshire, we're going to be on top of it.